0: My name is Erin Kenny. I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode where I am joined by Nancy Clark. Thank you so much for coming on, Nancy. Thank you for inviting me. So Nancy is a Simmons alum, which is ironic because I am as well. And she is also located in the Boston area and has her own private practice as a sports dietitian who I was just telling her, I have both of her books right in front of me. And they have about a hundred different sticky notes because she has always been the real We'll say the real OG of sports dietetics, and um, just really excited to have you on. So I'll let you kind of introduce yourself, if you don't mind.
1: Oh, well, thanks, Erin. Again, I'm I'm honored to be on your podcast. Uh, as you said, I do have a private practice in the Boston area. It's when when COVID isn't enforced, I'm in uh, Newton, um, but now I have this virtual office, and I, I see the whole spectrum from ordinary mortals to elite athletes to Olympic hopefuls, um, and, and everybody wants to know how to have more energy and and how to eat eat well for life as well as for sports. Uh, my background, as you said, I went to Simmons. I did an internship in dietetics at Mass General Hospital, uh, worked for a bit, and at that time I was doing lots of hiking and biking and cross-country skiing, and I was also giving some workshops to Coaches, and I realized oh, I need to know more about how nutrition and exercise combine. So I went back to grad school at Boston University where I combined nutrition with exercise at a time when people didn't even know what a sports nutritionist was. Yeah. And <clears throat> so I got my master's in nutrition with a focus on exercise physiology and started working at a sports medicine clinic. And people said, like, what do you do? Like cook sports? The- pasta, <laughs> and uh, they, they really weren't in tune to nutrition at all. And now people, you know, 40 years later, I've been at this for a while, and 13 books later, um, I, people are seeking out sports nutrition help. So it's, it's, it's really nice to see growth in the profession, and I'd like to think that I help contribute a bit to that. Uh, my sports nutrition guidebook, as you mentioned, has been a Bible for a lot of dietitians as well as for a lot of athletes. And um, it recently came out in a new sixth edition. So, you know, sports nutrition is ever changing and it's, um, it, it's fun to have conversations with people about, um, you know, how do you get the most out of your workout when you're fueling properly?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for your work and for your amazing resources. I I recommend your book to everybody and we'll continue to do so. Well, thank you. So we're in a pandemic, right? And people are working out um, maybe a lot differently than they were before. Of course, some people might be less active, but in general, you know, specifically with the clients that I see, people's activity levels have maybe gone up and, Maybe they're doing some things that they didn't used to do, or maybe they don't have access to a gym, and so their endurance mileage is maybe increasing. Um, so, what would you say is are some of the biggest mistakes that endurance athletes make specifically around training?
1: A lot of endurance athletes get into Running, let's just say running a marathon or doing a triathlon because they think, oh, I'll train for this marathon or train for this triathlon and I'll lose weight at the same time. Mm -hmm. So weight can be a very good motivator for people. And then I get these emails like, am I the only one who's ever gained weight training for a marathon? Like, why am I gaining weight? I should be pencil thin by now for all the exercise that I do. So many people use exercise for the wrong reason. And what's nice during COVID, I find that a lot of people are using exercise for the right reason, to relieve stress, for fresh air, for getting outside, for moving the body, for health, for fitness, heart disease, diabetes, cancer. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons to exercise, but I, I find that um, the exercising to lose weight is oftentimes the biggest incentive to start an exercise program. So that's a mistake on my point because on um, um, that that I point out to my clients, because um, the research suggests that people can add on exercise, but they don't necessarily lose weight.
0: Mm.
1: Weight is really dependent on creating a, an energy deficit. And many times when people exercise more, oh, I just went for a five mile run. Oh, now I need I deserve to eat that uh, scone, mm. or oh, I I just did an hour workout at the gym. And I'm starving. I think I'll make some brownies. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, it's really easy to overcompensate. And the problem today is, is that you might exercise an hour a day. But what happens in the other 23 hours? And people are, many of them are just glued to their computer and are very sedentary. Mm. So we really have to look at the whole 24-hour picture when it goes, comes to exercise and energy expenditure.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a really, really great point. And that comment that you made, the well, two of them actually, about people often saying I'm training for a marathon, I actually gained weight. And then the second one was, you know, a lot of times that appetite increase and people assume that because their appetite has increased, it means that they subsequently have an increase in calorie burn or they say, oh my metabolism is firing. And I try to explain to people that sometimes that could be related to your cortisol, you know, elevated, it could be overtraining and stress and lack of sleep. So I think that's a really good point to make that that's a can be an often misconception.
1: Yeah, sleep sleep indeed is in a, a monkey wrench when it comes to appetite. And and sometimes I found, you know, that clients are getting up super early to exercise because then they have to be back before their kids wake up and and um, blah, 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 and they drag themselves out of bed to do this workout, which leaves them exhausted, just sleep-deprived, and when people are sleep-deprived, they tend to um, crave more fun foods or reward foods, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, there's an interesting study when people, they took sleep-deprived people, and... Um, gave them an hour and a half more sleep a night, and they reported that their cravings for so-called junk food dropped by two thirds, mm. and the fourteen percent fewer calories. And um, so, sleep is a very important part of a training program and of a healthy lifestyle. And if people are dragging themselves out of bed to do a workout, you know, we have a conversation as to, you know, is this going to backfire? And you know, it's hard when you got a family and you're juggling everything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So what would you say to someone if, because that's a tough one, right? If somebody wants to prioritize exercise and maybe it's not even for the body composition benefits, it's the mental health side of things. What would you say to a client and, and how maybe might you adjust their training schedule if, if you find that lack of sleep could be really playing a huge role in why they're not being successful or it's really working against them?
1: Sometimes it's as easy as having them prioritize going to bed earlier instead of watching the news, instead of catching up on Facebook, um, doing mindless TV. So um, when I when I asked my clients, I said, you know, could you get more sleep, you know, like one night a week or two nights a week? And generally they agree that, you know, a couple of nights a week, they, they could go to bed earlier. They don't have to stay. They up to watch tv um and in cases where there just aren't any options like it's exercise now or never you know is it, it, it sometimes you don't know the answer but it, it's any any exercise is better than no exercise mm-hmm. but a lot of sleep is better than no sleep and finding the balance and maybe you know can you get a babysitter just So you can run for an hour, (laughs) you know, high school kids that are hanging out bored these days. And um, if you can bring them into your little pod, find someone that you trust, maybe it's just paying somebody for an hour of childcare. Um, It it really depends on the scenario. But, you know, with my clients, we do a lot of problem solving. Most of them say, I know what I should do. I just don't do it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so we kind of problem solve, like, you know, why are you doing what you're doing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so what about, because I see a lot of people underfueling? fueling, um, can you speak a little bit about kind of red S syndrome and uh, what are the consequences of that? Because I think it's it's just so common. And I've talked about hypothalamic amenorrhea a lot, which is, of course, part of this, but I, I'd like to just kind of reiterate the importance of it and the long-term consequences.
1: Yeah, red S, relative energy deficiency in sport is a fancy term for underfueling. Some people underfuel knowingly, such as people with eating disorders that are very very restrictive and oh I you know I stay away from carbs and I don't eat any fat and <clears throat> oh you know bread is off the menu. And other people when they eat a healthy diet that has lots of fiber in it, lots of you know beans and salads and fruits and veggies and whole grains or whatever, they just feel full from all the fiber, and they may not even realize that they're losing weight and underfueling. Mm. So, underfueling can come along with an eating disorder, or it can become just um, obliviously un- under eating. But when a woman stops having a menstrual cycle, it's a red flag. It is not normal. It is normal for be- women to have regular menstrual cycles. The problem is, if a woman does lose her period, that it, it ends up with um, impairing her bone health. Um, and so there's a much higher risk of getting a stress factor. Like women who don't get their periods have a two to four times higher risk of getting a stress factor. And if you're training for the Boston Marathon and you get a stress factor, like you know, one month before the marathon, you're not a happy camper. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's hard. Injuries are tough. Injuries are tough. And so yet you want to prevent that by fueling well. And part of that is taking in enough calories. And you can tell if you're eating enough by, like I say, if, if you're menstruating normally, then that can be a good sign. But that said, I have clients with eating disorders that are severely restrictive, and they still get their periods. They probably don't ovulate, mm. but they have monthly bleeding. So um, they've removed amenorrhea as part of the diagnosis of anorexia.
0: Mm.
1: So it's, it's not cut and dry the way we, we might think that it is. But a question that I ask my clients is: you know, what percent of your time do you spend thinking about food? Mm-hmm. And a powerful question. Yeah, and many say, oh, way too much, you know, 99%. Oh, I'm embarrassed to say. And when that's the answer, you know, I educate them that if we didn't think about food, we'd never think to eat. So if you're thinking about food all the time, your body is saying, please feed me, please feed me, Mm -hmm. please feed me. And then it escalates into... Feed me. And then a binge can very easily happen. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time with my clients talking about hunger and how hunger often appears not as stomach growling. That's like too hungry. Mm. That's past hunger, but just tired, droopy, cold, unable to focus easily irritated bored. or I'm just eating this popcorn because I'm bored. No, I, th- I think you're hungry. If you were bored, you'd do something if you weren't hungry. Mm-hmm. But I, I had a client the other day who said, um, yeah, you know, I worked with her and she was under eating and I suggested she eat more. It's like, oh, my word, you know, I could eat that much. Mm-hmm. I, you know, And she came back and said, you know what? I didn't need to take a nap this week because every afternoon she was taking a nap. She says, I know I'm getting older, but really do I eat- do I really need to take naps at, you know, age 60, (laughs) you know, and, and she was under fueling and she was just delighted that uh, having more breakfast and lunch just solved that problem. And she just had more energy and felt better all day.
0: Yeah. I think it's a lot of people don't usually make the, the correlation between the two and, we have to, I think like your, your original point about what is the purpose of the exercise and are we exercising to, it should be giving us energy. It should be making us feel better, not feel worse. And so if you are training to train for the health benefits, then it's, it's really important that you're putting fuel in so that you can do that. But it's it's yeah. hard sometimes. Yeah especially carbohydrates, you know, carbohydrates seem to be the one that gets the, the worst reputation, which is unfortunate considering they're such um, an important source of fuel. Well, that's where I try not to use the word carbohydrate or carb. Like you say, it is
1: so tainted. When mm-hmm. I talk about fruits and vegetables and whole grains, and those still have a positive connotation. Mm-hmm. And um, if you just don't talk about carbs, <laughs> then... Sometimes you get a better listening, but uh it, there's so much misconception about carbs as being evil and fattening and bad and a waste of calories, and the number of clients that I have that, that don't eat pasta and try not to have bread, and oh no, no bagels anymore, except for maybe once a month on a Sunday breakfast treat. Um and they just need education that yeah, the conversion of carbohydrate into body fat is a tough conversion. Mm-hmm. That excess calories of any type are fattening, but it's not carbs that are fattening. But to do the experiment, how much better do you feel when you fuel your muscles uh, properly? Because the carbohydrate gets stored in the muscles as glycogen. And when the glycogen stores are depleted, that's when your legs feel really heavy. And the runner goes, oh, my legs are just dead. Or someone comes back from the gym just depleted. It's like, oh, you know, I'm just wiped out at the end of my workout, and that can be a sign that their muscles weren't well fueled to start with. So the experiment is: well, what what if you have some oatmeal for breakfast before you work out? What if you start having a sandwich at lunch and just instead of a salad, you know, what if you add some pasta or brown rice or quinoa to your dinner? And then they come back and go, wow, do I feel better? Oh, my workouts are so much better. And they're amazed at the power of food Mm. and how food is so powerful. Just as it could be powerfully bad for us, it can be powerfully good for us. Mm. And that's what I tend to focus on, the, the good the good, as I'm sure that you do too. I mean, that's what dietitians do.
0: Yeah. We focus on what you can add in and what can add value to your, your total dietary lifestyle versus, you know, this, this idea of restriction. And, um, it can be tough, you know, when people come in, they'll say, you know, when I tell them to eat more carbs, they'll say, you know, but what, what if, what about this or that? And my question is usually, well, you know, there's a reason you're in my office right now. And if, if it was because you felt really good, then, you know, there wouldn't be an issue. But something's off, and you're based on what you're eating, it doesn't look like it's enough, and based on your symptoms. And so there's usually only one way that we can go, and that's through increasing.
1: Yeah. And, and when I'm working with my clients, I would say 90% of the time, not 100% of the time, you know, we talk about calories. You know, I ask them, do they know how many calories that they're eating? And a lot of them are tracking their food. They're saying, yeah, I have 1,280, yesterday I ate 1,237 calories, mm-hmm. as if it's an exact science, which we know that it is not. Right. Um, and I said, you know how many calories your body actually requires that you deserve to eat? They have no idea. So I, I separate calories into just the resting metabolic rate, how many calories you need just to lie in bed and breathe and do nothing just to exist, which is far more than people think that it is. Mm-hmm. And how many calories that they need for their daily coming and going, brushing their teeth, you know, going up and down stairs, doing laundry, working, whatever. And then more calories for their purposeful exercise. And I'd say most of my female clients need 2,000, or more calories a day. And here they're trying to eat 1,200. And so if they're tired, cold, droopy, moody, unable to focus, easily irritated. It's like, huh, you know, quality of life. Why don't, let's do an experiment and just try eating a little bit more. But di- dividing the calories into four times a day. So the person that needs 2,400 calories, deserves 2,400 calories, could be 600 calories for breakfast, lunch, early lunch, later lunch, dinner. And um, dinner's the escape hatch. So if they don't want to eat that much, If they're just not hungry, then they don't have to eat dinner or they can have a lettuce leaf. Mm -hmm. Um, And they just discover how much better they feel, how much warmer they are, how much more energy they have, how they're alive. They're more pleasant with their kids. You know, people really notice a big personality difference and their workouts are phenomenal. Mm. Um, And a lot of people can't go from 1,200 to 2,400 calories. So that they sort of, you know, tiptoe making progress. So if any of the listeners are thinking, Hmm, I wonder if I'm under eating, um, you know, meet with a registered dietitian and figure out what your, how many calories your body actually requires and compare that to what you're taking in. And it can be a big education. Now that said, you know, some people are really obsessive compulsive about calories and they, um, it it puts them over the edge. So my rules are calories are zero, 50, or 100. Um, they aren't 87 and 52 and 31. And if you've got 600 calorie breakfast, ding, 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 done. And then you go on to your next bucket, ding, 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 done. So it's not stringing along, you know, 1,700, and 2,000 calories or whatever. But it's, it's a conversation. It's a, it's a choice. Do you, do you talk much calories with your clients?
0: I, I think, like you said, it depends on the person, but more often than not, it's appropriate, I think, for for them to just understand how much fuel they do require. And when people do realize that, I think it, it oftentimes give them, gives them permission more than anything. So yeah, it
1: gives them a context. So when they look at the label, if they know they've got 600 calories for breakfast and they're just having an English muffin for 150, they go, oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. and there's context oh no wonder I was hungry
0: yeah yeah, yeah. and you mentioned too 600 calories for breakfast I, and I'm sure that there are people listening thinking 600 calories for breakfast that's that's insane and I think that that's that's a really big point to mention there is how do you see people misdistributing food throughout the day especially if they're working out early in the morning
1: well, if they're working out early in the morning, they probably want to have 100, 200 of those calories before they work out. Maybe they have a banana with some peanut butter on it. And they can eat that five minutes before they run out the door. As long as you're exercising at a pace that you can maintain for more than half an hour, you can eat beforehand. And that food gets used during your workout. Right. So a lot of people think, oh, you know, I'm not going to wake up an hour earlier. You know, I'm already getting up at five o'clock. I'm not going to get up at four o'clock to eat. It's like, no, you don't need to do that. You can just have a chunk of a bagel, just anything. So, you know, 120 of those calories before they work out to fuel up. And then afterwards they refuel with their um, avocado toast and egg or whatever. And when people exercise in the morning, they're generally hungry by 10 or 11.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's where the early lunch comes in. And if you eat lunch at 11, then what do you do until dinner? You have a second lunch at 3. And they, they go, oh, oh, I'm eating so much food. But it's like, no, they're eating so much acknowledged food. Like the number of calories that get snarfed down. People are eating the whole, you know, tray of Oreos. <laughs> Is, you know, that was just like three pieces of pizza that you ate in the term of Oreos. Um, <laughs> So there's a difference between calories that are acknowledged and calories that just get eaten out of desperation of being too hungry.
0: Yeah. And and I work with a lot of clients who have GI issues specifically. So you know they'll say, oh, well, I can't eat right before I work out. And it's oftentimes that they're probably eating the wrong things before they work out. And usually we'll have to make some adjustments and kind of trial and error what works for them. But Oftentimes, if you find something that that does align with your body's physiology, then it's possible to do that. I think getting in a mindset of, oh, you know, I had one bad experience or this specific food causes me GI upset, then they kind of get stuck in that mindset and it becomes kind of a fear-based story that they tell themselves versus, you know, trying to work around it and figure out, you know, what might be going on and what is the underlying cause of why we're having those digestive issues
1: yeah and the gut is trainable the mm-hmm. gut is trainable mm-hmm. so between making smarter choices and and titrating up from one pretzel to two pretzels you know mm-hmm. that um that they they can train the gut and and have better workouts it's you know it's all about quality of life and you know when people are dragging themselves through workouts because they're hungry and poorly fueled how long are they going to sustain that hmm. you know not for the rest of their life so we really have to look at exercise the e in exercise—is for enjoyment and you enjoy it more when you're properly fueled and you want it to be sustainable and something that is you look forward to but it's not punishment for oh i've I have excess body fat. I got to go work out and burn off calories because I'm fat.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's so true. And we often don't talk a lot about the psychological impact of overtraining as well, and how, you know, having a poor mood and, and doing, you know, too much exercise can actually negatively impact every system of the body, which, You know, I've talked on the podcast about how it can negatively impact the gut microbiome, but, you know, overall just mental health and motivation, like you said, enjoyment, we're supposed to enjoy the movement that we're doing. And that's the purpose of what exercise is. And I think it's hard when, you know, diet culture and the media has has contributed to maybe creating a, a more of a, you need to earn your food or burn what you're eating if it was quote unquote bad and Um, You know, it's coming back to that same idea that you started off with of the, the finding the enjoyment.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So, what are, your, what are your thoughts on the um, the keto diet? Because I know we we kind of talked about carbs a little bit, but I've had some uh, clients come to me that are wondering, okay, how can I get this next advantage or what's the cutting edge? I've been you know an athlete for several years and I want to take it to the next level, and so I always I always see keto as being the the hottest topic. <laughs>
1: Yeah, if it's not one diet, it's the other. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, the research to date that I've seen shows that once people are adapted, once athletes are adapted to keto, which can be at least a month, um, that they can perform as well but not better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So why live in a food jail
0: yeah. <laughs> when it's term, not going food to jail. improve
1: <laughs> your performance. Um, but a lot of people like keto, as I had an ultra runner who said, oh, I love keto because that keeps me from binging on carbohydrates. Mm. And, and so it's, for him, keto was just put me in food jails Then I don't binge eat. It just rules, good food, bad food, right, wrong. Mm. So there's a subset of people who do keto for the wrong reason. And it really, they don't resolve their their bad relationship with food. Um, some people just go keto because they're curious. And there are those that rave about it. And it's like, you know, each person's body is different. You have a right to live your life the way that you want to. And, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up. And if you just want to live on what. Salad with a bunch of dressing
0: <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine a Thanksgiving without potatoes honestly i, I yeah, stuffing no apple pie, yeah.
1: da, 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 da. Um, you know it is socially it can be difficult, but yet other people have found that they've learned how to manage it socially, and you know, I question if they're really on a strict keto diet, which is really you know eighty percent of the calories from
0: fat. yeah, know, it's a really high fat diet, very very low carb diet. A lot of um, people are going over on protein. If I if I ever yeah. see someone on a keto diet, they're usually much too high on what the protein should be for a keto diet. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. But what they've done is that they just eliminated the the
1: option of including grains into their diet and so it's just a way of controlling food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I always listen to my clients. Like what? What's your goal? Why do you want to go keto? Um, it's the same thing. Why do you want to be vegan? And and just listen. And um, maybe sometimes I'm a devil's advocate. And have you thought about this or that or you know? And but just have them think about it. But you know, our bodies are all so individual. We all have you know, two arms, two legs, one head, two eyes. But inside. Everything is just so different. Mm -hmm. And as you know, if you deal with gut health, you know, how people have such just different reactions to food.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so I like to think that I am a listener rather than a um, dictator.
0: (laughs) Mm, I appreciate that absolutely about you, especially in a professional sense. I think, think being dogmatic in, in this field in general is, is not ever something that can, can often make way with anybody, um, which can be challenging. And so that idea of kind of meeting the clients where they are and, and like you said, just listening and, and getting that understanding of, of why they're, they're making the choices that they're making or what their goals are so that you can better help them in that sense. Yeah, yeah, and and they they appreciate being listened
1: to. You know, I've had many clients say, "Nancy, you're the first person who's ever listened," <laughs> you know, mm. which is a sad statement. Um, but that's because dietitians have the time to do it, right? Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: And it, it's nice to have that time. Yeah, because um, I learn a lot from my clients, and uh, mm. you know, they generally they're they're the experts. I
0: love that. You mentioned vegan athletes and I think this was the year of the Game Changers documentary <laughs> which yes. I don't even like to call it a documentary because a documentary is not as biased as th- this one was but what are your um, what would be your advice for vegan athletes I haven't talked about that at all on the podcast about the specific nutrients of concern and obviously you cover this in depth in your book, but if you could just maybe tell the listeners what are some important things to keep in mind if you are a vegan athlete and um, maybe even we can talk about the, the digestibility of the different proteins as well.
1: Well, I call it a shockumentary, a shockumentary, <laughs> not a documentary. <laughs> I like it. And it's, it's definitely is cherry-picked information. Um, and if people are interested, they can Google reviews of game changer. And they'll, they'll come up with some good things. So and I, like I, said, I have a list of reviews that I send out to people that ask me about it. Um, but th- it's fine to be a vegan. I have no problem with people being vegans. Um, I want to know why they want to be a vegan. And if they think that's how they lose weight, then, you know, there are many ways to lose weight. Um, but the, the concern is are you getting enough protein? And what's the quality of the protein? So leucine is an amino acid that's involved in triggering muscles to grow. And leucine is about in half the quantity in plant foods than it is in animal foods. So that people need to eat a lot of more plant protein and and look at the quality of the plant protein, like soy or pea protein, is higher quality than you know the protein that's in your bagel. Um, so you know, I I will estimate with my clients the number of grams of protein that they need to get, and educate them how to figure that out, and so that they can be responsible. Um, and I find that a lot of vegans are responsible. I found that some of them, the vegan is just, well, that's one way to get rid of dairy so I can save calories on that and I don't have right. to eat red meat anymore. And, and it's just an eating, it's a politically correct way to eliminate food for someone with an eating disorder.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so there's that kind of vegan as well, which is really the exact wrong reason to be a vegan. Because protein needs when people are under eating, their protein needs really are much higher, and it's really hard to get enough protein if you're unwilling to eat like a lot of beans or mm-hmm. a lot of hummus or right. a lot of
0: tofu, which is not easy on the GI track uh, for, for a lot of people. Precisely, yeah, 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 yeah. And I like that you you know you mentioned that it's you know you have to be proactive about it. I think. You know, we get into the topic of then plant protein powders and the the issue with them being um, you know having heavy metals in them and so you really want to make sure it's a good quality one. So if somebody is choosing to eat this way, I'm always you know saying, you know, you have to make sure that if you are choosing to eat this way, you have to be, you know, an, an, an active consumer where you're working with a dietitian or you know, just, just really understanding, you know, what comes with being a vegan, because there, like you said, there's nothing wrong with being a vegan, but doing it for the right reasons. And then also making sure that you're being proactive, especially as an athlete and making sure that you're getting the essential things that your body needs in order to properly fuel.
1: Yeah. It's being a responsible vegan.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Precisely. Precisely.
0: Um, what are yeah. the a- what are your favorite, um, like dietary plant sources of specific things? Like, I guess we could talk about calcium because that's usually a nutrient of concern for vegans. Yeah. And a lot of them are drinking almond milk, mm. it's like, Oh, almond juice, yeah, water, <laughs> water essentially with a little bit of almond in there. And a little bit of, you know, calcium supplement thrown in.
1: (laughs) Um, So (laughs) making sure that they're drinking soy milk or pea milk, which the brand name would be Ripple, um, because those have a higher quality protein. And, I mean, there's calcium in your dark leafy greens, but how much of it is absorbed. So tofu would be a source like say your your soy that's fortified that's enriched um or calcium processed you know there's there's calcium added to different foods so you know we sort of go down the list of looking at how are you going to get your calcium and see what they suggest and many times i am say oh i take a calcium supplement well we really have to look at the food matrix mm-hmm. and not just a nutrient but the the calcium that's in real food is really um, you know food has all this synergistic effects and and any study that I see comparing nutrients from food versus nutrients from a supplement just show that the food nutrients of foods are more effective. Mm. Um, so I would. Um, just have that conversation of how do you plan to get your calcium other than a supplement
0: right yeah, and i 've seen the research too, and specifically have done a lot of this just because um, you know osteoporosis um, with some of my family members and you know supplementing with calcium has shown to not exactly be quite effective for a lot mm-hmm. of populations and could even be detrimental, which is another reason why I'm always a fan of non-dairy. Um, I mean, not non-dairy, but dairy from, I mean, <laughs> calcium from food sources. And I personally love sardines that have the bones in them. I, I eat kelp noodles and things like that, but there's plenty of other sources that you know maybe taste a little bit better or if people are willing to branch out and try different things, I think it's always good to just keep that in mind.
1: Yeah, more power to you with your sardines. You
0: <laughs> so I'll, t- I'll tell you, though, I, I put a recipe for sardine cakes, which is similar to a crab cake mm-hmm. on my Instagram story. And in the past month or so, I want to say five or six people um have tried them and have really liked them one of them being my boyfriend who uh-huh. actually asked me to meal prep them for him for the week so i you know i would say if someone is listening and they're interested they should go check it out because you know I, i've gotten some good feedback and so don't trust me trust the people who have possibly tried it and liked it
1: <laughs> well, speaking speaking of recipes, um, in my sports nutrition guidebook, which the full name is Nancy Clark's Sports Nutrition Guidebook. In the in the new sixth edition, I have a bunch of recipes that are vegan and gluten free, um, and quick and easy and family friendly, and um, no, none for sardines with bones. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well then they can go they can get my sardine recipe and then they can go to your book and get the amazing resources that they can yeah. find there I've, yeah I so if are your... looking
1: for new recipes um i've gotten a lot of good feedback there's a peanut stew that's yummy and there's a um
0: you have uh, no baked peanut butter bites in there that i love yeah. um so many good recipes
1: Yeah, the super seedy granola bar, which actually I had an intern from Simmons that um, donated that recipe to the book. Oh,
0: really? That's awesome. So Simmons comes through. (laughs) Simmons always comes through. That's awesome. Um, So we talked about calcium and then, you know, iron, omega-3, fatty acids, vitamin D, vitamin C. Um, you know we could talk about specific foods all day, but I think at the end of the day it 's about you know meeting with a dietitian, understanding that these nutrients are of concern and and not relying on a supplement if you can i think there's there 's definitely places where a supplement is necessary and and appropriate, but trying to think of a food first mentality and And like Nancy said, there's tons of recipes out there of ways that you can incorporate these foods into your diet versus, you know, isolating specific nutrients.
1: Yeah, and iron can be as simple as cooking in a cast iron skillet. You know, those old Mm -hmm. black skillets and sort of stainless steel, you know, go buy a, a cast iron skillet.
0: Yeah, I love my cast iron skillet. It's it's so fun to cook with. So if people, I do too. Yeah. Um, so the, I think this is pretty much you know wrapping up here. I, I want people to know where they can find you, um, where they can get your book, and um, maybe where they could even make an appointment with you. Are you are you taking new clients right now? I, I am taking new clients.
1: Um, people can find me on my website, which is Nancy Clark. R-D, as in registered dietitian, dot com So N-A-N-C-Y-C-L-A-R-K-R-D.com. And it has a place there called Contact Nancy, and you send me an email and I will respond. Um, I'm also on Twitter at nclarkrd and Facebook and LinkedIn, nclarkrd as well. Um, I, I haven't gotten heavy duty into Instagram. My, my COVID goal was to do that. And somehow I've just been busy.
0: <laughs> Don't rush. Uh, Don't rush. No. It's, I mean, it's, it's great, but it's also, it's a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are 24 hours in the day. Yeah. So, but, um, my sports nutrition guidebook is like I say it's, it's a tried and true reference that I've gotten a lot of good feedback from professionals as well as from readers themselves. You know, I, get emails like nancy my my 17 year old son spent the afternoon reading your sports nutrition guidebook it's like amazing
0: (laughs) so it it it, is it's such an easy read too i mean you know as a dietitian it's 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 pun intended it's digestible it's it's simple you I'm, i'm not kidding i've got 300 different sticky notes in here that you can just refer to and it's excellent
1: well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate your support. Because yeah. um, a lot of dietitians have supported it and helped spread the word. And that's how the word's gotten out.
0: Yeah, it's one thing to have a book. It's another thing for it to be as popular as it is. And um, so that speaks wonders to it. Um, so Nancy, the question of the hour, what is your favorite childhood memory with food? Oh, I've got lots of favorite
1: childhood memories. I, I have, I think my grandmother, who lives just, you know, on the other side of town for where, where I grew up, she'd come over probably once a week and bring three tins of cookies. So we had sugar cookies, chocolate chip cookies, and hermits. And sometimes she'd bring homemade bread. And sometimes she'd bring a pie. But it, it was just wonderful. And you know what? We ate these foods with no guilt and with no shame, and they were just part of normal eating, Um, you know, with my brother and my sister and my parents, and we just enjoyed them. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just really nice to have memories of a time when food was enjoyable instead of now it's like, oh, I had a cookie. (laughs) <laughs> oh, you know, how sinful, how shameful, how yeah. sugar filled. And um, I'd, I'd like to think that we can revert to a time where people remember that there's not a good food or a bad food. There's a mm-hmm. balanced diet and an unbalanced diet. And certainly I was raised with a very balanced diet that included some fun foods. And like I like to have wonderful memories of my grandmother and her cookies.
0: Mm, That's, that's beautiful. I love that. And I, I agree. I hope that we can, you know, get to a place where we can maybe, um, I I think there's so much advocacy for this idea of all foods fit and health at every size and and understanding that each food serves a purpose, not just physically, but mentally. And um, I'm definitely personally on a mission to help do that and appreciate the work that you're doing. And uh, just really grateful to have you on the podcast and to share your expertise.
1: Well, I wish you the best. With uh, May your podcast be well-nourished and blossom and grow. And um, I hope their listeners have gotten some tips that might help them
0: uh, eat for enjoyment and exercise for pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nancy. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you are interested in working one-on-one with me to improve your gut health and get to the root cause of why you aren't reaching your health goals, please visit nutritionrewired.com. You can also find my book, Rewire Your Gut, which is an excellent resource for anybody who's looking to improve their health. I've had such great feedback from this book, from people noting improved digestion, cleared up skin conditions, reduced cravings, and overall just more success in reaching their health goals. There is a meal plan in the back of the book as a sample to guide you of how to use it throughout the week and incorporate some of these delicious recipes. And I also just launched my recent book, Rewire Your Sweet Tooth, which is a collection of healthy, delectable dessert recipes that are perfect for pretty much any time, but especially the holiday season. And both books are now available as a PDF and a physical printout on my website, nutritionrewired.com, and would make a fantastic gift for your loved ones. So thanks for tuning in. And as always, don't forget to share the health.